0: We are going to have a special prayer for, is, is this right, bro, on Tuesday night? Yes. Okay. Yes. CMA will be uh, at prayer meeting Tuesday night, and we'll have a chance to lay hands on them and pray for them. And so uh, you see the ramps. This is all being built for not, not skateboarding, um, for the Wizard of Oz. So this stage will get bigger and bigger, and who knows where I'm going to walk today. So... I'm kind of excited about that. Um, So let's do our scripture memory. If you wouldn't mind standing to your feet. We are memorizing as a church 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. And if you want to work at it at home, we've got cards on all of the giving tables so you can carry this thing around. I do. And... uh, but let's, uh, we're going to read the first few verses and then we're going to turn, the, turn them off and we will, uh, we'll see how we're doing. His divine power, oh say this with me. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and grace. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence." And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. Okay, let's get rid of it. Here we go. His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these, he has given us his precious and magnificent promises so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, applying all diligence... In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, supply knowledge. And in your knowledge, supply self control. Not great. <laughs> let's, pray, let's pray. Lord, we love you. And uh, Lord, you want our minds to be renewed, you want our hearts to be filled. Would you come and speak to each one of us in a way that only you can? Lord, I pray that everyone will leave this church today, not talking about City Church or Pastor Tom, or, but that each would leave saying, oh my, my heart was burning. Jesus is alive. He has spoken to me. Would you do that, Lord? We love you and we thank you. Bless our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. So we're in a series called Transformed Lives, and we started the, the first week on these promises that are in verses 10 and 11 that are just unbelievably huge promises that that if these qualities that are listed here are ours and increasing, that a number of things will be true about us just because we have these qualities and we're increasing in them. One, we will be fruitful and not unproductive in our faith. We will make a difference down here. Two, we will grow in our assurance. We will grow in confidence and will never stumble or fall away. And then we will also receive a rich welcome into heaven. I'm not sure what exactly that means, but I want it. Week two, we talked about the foundation. What is ours by faith? All of these things have to be added to faith. Faith is the foundation. The foundation is not what we do for God. It's not our goodness, our religion. The foundation is what God has done for us in Christ. It's about the finished work. It's about him releasing by grace his divine nature, which is another way of saying he's adopted us. He's given us. We're born again. We're born into the family. We have his very nature in us. And we are to add to that foundation... Moral excellence, or the the, the Greek word is rete or virtue. The first floor is virtue. These are all in order. You have to add virtue to faith. If you go right to knowledge, you're going to end up with a virtueless faith, which is very prominent today in the United States. We want to have a faith that has virtue, that that, that is transforming us, that is is changing our lives. Add to faith virtue. And then once you've established, I'm gonna do the right thing, no matter what the cost, that's what virtue is, then add to that knowledge. And then today, add to your knowledge now, self-control. So that's the title of today's message, Transformed Lives, Self-control. First, what is self-control? Well, we know from Galatians 5, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It is the fruit that protects us. Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-eight. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. So this is defense in the Old Testament. The offense is your army. Your army goes out, but your defense is the walls of your city. If you don't have any walls in your city, then you are vulnerable all the time. And so you build up your walls. You have an army for offense, and you have walls for defense. And if you don't have self-control, you don't have defense. Now here's, here's what I've learned about defense. Defense is not nearly as exciting as offense. Everyone is, we watch football, basketball, whatever game you watch, you watch it because of offense, because it's, it's amazing, and, and offense is great. But folks, you can't win without defense. Self-control is your defense. It is, in, in faith, Saying yes to God and have that tender heart and, and, and being able to receive from God by faith the, the power and the, and the things of God. That's your offense. Defense is your ability to say no. Isn't that exciting? God wants us to win. To win, you're going to have to have a good defense that's why self control is so important secondly what is self control it's the fence that protects the fruit god is growing in galatians 5:22 the fruit of the spirit this is every everybody that's born again has the holy spirit in them and so Growing in you Planted in you This is your best self It's the best version of you Growing in every single one That is born of God That has the Holy Spirit You've got these things growing Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness And self-control Why is self-control last? Self-control Is like the fence In the garden See you can have love, but if, if, if you get offended, offense will eat your love away. so you need a fence around it, or that little bunny rabbit called a fence is going to come in and eat up your love. you can have joy, but if you have no self control, if you can never say no to uh, discouragement, which will not how many have noticed that discouragement knocks on our door all the time? If you can't say no to discouragement, your joy is going to be eaten away. We need self-control. We need to be able to say yes to this and see no to this. Let's keep going. You got peace growing in you, the peace of God that passes all understanding. But if you have no self-control, anxiety will get into your garden and eat away your Peace. Even though that's the best version of yourself, is is you at peace with God, you with a a quiet spirit that is trusting God, that thing can get eaten away if you don't have any self control to say, No, I'm not going to think that. No, I'm not going there. I'm not going down that line of thoughts. We have to put the fence up called self control. This is kind of painful. Let's do one more. You got patience. Did you know you're patient? By the fruit of the Spirit, this is the best version of you. This is in your identity, in God. The Holy Spirit is growing patience. But if there is no fence, frustration comes in and eats patience away. And pretty soon, we're yelling at the car in front of us. Pay, pay, I heard that amen. I heard that amen. Amen. it's the fence the self control it's the fence that protects the fruit god is growing in us and then thirdly we must add self control to knowledge to protect us from imbalance okay i i did not realize where this message was going to go i didn't i didn't really i didn't think about it in its context Peter is talking about, he's confronting false teachers and everything that's false, and he's using his apostolic authority to say, this is how you need to build character. Eventually, we're going to get to love, to real love, to true love, of how to really love. And he's giving the way, and here's here's what he says. In your knowledge of God, in all the knowledge that God will reveal to you, you need to exercise self-control. Huh. Well, it turns out there is a a danger in knowledge. Whether you get knowledge by the Holy Spirit, by an encounter you have with him, or you get knowledge by reading the Bible and God shows you something, there is an inherent danger in knowledge. 1 Corinthians 8 says this, knowledge puffs up. See, all we can know, 1 Corinthians 13, is all we can know is in part. Paul says we know in part in this life. What happens is, when you get some truth from God, when you get a little truth from God, it's very easy to get puffed up and to think that you know it all all of a sudden. And you can take a truth and make it the truth, and it's called heresy by emphasis. And all of a sudden, you know the way and your experience or your interpretation is the right one and you can get people around you and you can end up missing the big picture because you didn't add self-control to your knowledge. Here's a very disturbing thing I've learned about God. I've been a a Christian now for, let's not even talk about how long I've been a Christian because it's been a long time. Um, 30 seven years, 38 years. I've been a pastor for 35. Um, God is going to let you believe whatever you want to believe and he'll let you evangelize it. This is the day of false prophets, false Christ, false anything. You, whatever you want to believe, whatever you choose to believe, we live in darkness right now. It's part of the test of this time. You're going to have to choose Jesus and choose truth in the midst of darkness. And there's a lot of voices around us. Has anybody noticed that? And did you notice God's allowing it? God's allowing people to say and proclaim whatever they want to proclaim. A book that affected my life intensely is called The Final Quest by Rick Joyner. It's about the end times revival. It's a series of prophetic experiences that he had and he, he, he writes these out and tells the whole story and um, I, I make our elders read it. I've made our staff read it because I, I believe it. I believe this is a key, a key revelation, if you will, for revival. And um, the book starts out that he he sees the Christian, the state of the Christian church in America, and it's just a mess. It's just. People are divided, people are, are distracted, people have weapons, but their weapons are on the ground. People, uh, some are in the enemy's army, they got caught up with the enemy, they don't even know, and it's just a, it's just a mess, and this man appears to him called Wisdom, and he says, if you want to win this battle, you've got to climb that mountain. He looks behind him, there's a mountain, and he gets to this mountain, and it turns out every step of this mountain has a name, and it's a biblical truth. And the first one is salvation, and then there's water baptism, and unity of the brethren. And I, I remember one of them's called, it's just, called, the whole level is called Galatians 2.20, and the enemy's arrows can't reach that one, because that's the one that says, I'm crucified with Christ, where we lose our rights, and we, we put our identity in Christ. And, 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 but he keeps climbing, because wisdom says, you need, to, you need to climb this mountain to win this battle. And, and finally, and he's encouraging people that are at every level to come and climb with him. And he gets uh, he gets to the highest to the top of the mountain, and the the highest truth of God is the is the Father's unconditional love, and it's a garden, and it's a garden, and and it's ex- experiencing the unconditional love of the Father, and he doesn't want to leave once he's there. And wisdom has to say, listen, this this whole mountain is inside of it. You could take this wherever you go. You don't... But we need you to go back and fight the battle. And so, so th- they go back down, and, and because of their encounter of God, their armor is gleaming. It's shining. And Rick Joyner knows this feeling as he's coming down, like there is, no, there is no army that is going to stand against us now. We can do anything. I can't wait to go after the enemy. And he gets right... Th- down to the bottom. They're just about to go to the, uh, go into battle. And wisdom, he, he turns to wisdom and wisdom says this. Put this mantle on. And there's a mantle on the ground and it's called humility. And he puts this mantle on and all of a sudden, all the glory, all the shining, it's all gone. It's just really, really, Drab. And he looks over. And there is an army over on the side. And its name is Pride. And it's waiting in hiding for the the saints of God to go out. And just then, the, the commander of this army that's just been in the presence of God. And experienced the unconditional love of the Father. He says, charge. And they run out. And this army called Pride comes up behind and Rick Joyner is horrified. He starts yelling and screaming to, watch out, watch out, watch out, it's a trick. And wisdom says, you're wasting your time. The only people that can hear you are the people that have this mantle on. What happens next is horrifying. Horrifying. These people that have just climbed the mountain, that have just experienced the the highest encounter with God, are all taken by doctrines of demons into different camps. One demon, one little thing, just takes them this way, that way. No one can tell them anything anymore because they've experienced God and they've experienced the highest. And so they're easily deceived. Rick Joyner looks over at wisdom and wisdom says this to him you have taught in your books to retreat in fear leaves you vulnerable to the enemy. And he said, and that's true. He said, but what you haven't taught is to advance in pride makes you equally vulnerable to the enemy. I remember the first time I read this story. I'm kind of a a revival buff, revival through history. I remember reading this the first time and I was in so much pain because this is the story of the church. God starts moving. God starts doing things. People start getting alive in God and then all of a sudden God can't use them because they get so filled with themselves and their movement and their book and their whatever that now uh, all of a sudden God has to back away. God has given tremendous freedom, folks, for us to believe whatever we believe. Could we put on this mantle called humility? Could we recognize when we get knowledge from God that this is partial knowledge? Even the stuff you think you know, it's only a a fraction of the real truth. We can't know God as he is right now. We are dealing with little glimpses which should create a tremendous humility in us. I just, I'm so longing for God to do everything that he wants to do among us. And the biggest thing that will hinder it is us. (laughs) Lord, help us. Help us. All right. Three, point two, this is my last point. Three areas of knowledge that require self control. Do you see what I did there? It's my last point, and then I just said there's three things. This is how pastors work they, it's the bait and switch thing. Um, number one knowledge about God. Romans eleven twenty two. Behold then, the kindness and severity of God to those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Whew. Today we live in a humanistic society. And that humanism has affected the church. What humanism simply says is that man, or mankind, is the middle. Everything is to serve mankind. Mankind's happiness is the highest value on this planet. Mankind's happiness, mankind's progress, mankind's comfort is the highest value. And what happens is when you bring that into the church, now God is also mankind's servant. And God is, we're still the center, and God helps us reach our full potential. And I know that there's some truth in that, but it's the wrong way to think about this. We're not the middle folks, God is. God, God is the center of this thing. And the reason why we must behold him as he is, the reason why we have to behold not just his kindness. We can't just take the kindness and say, I don't like the other stuff. I'm just going to stay with this. The reason why we can't do that is because you're, we become very vulnerable when we, when we pick and choose what we like about God. The reason why God wants us to behold his severity is so that we never experience it. God's heart is Unbelievably filled with kindness and love for you. But we must behold his severity. We must see it. We must own it. We must say this is who our God is to protect ourselves from ever having to experience it. So what what do I mean by beholding God's severity? Simply this. One, God created you. You didn't create God. God created you. And God has a right to judge you. God doesn't need you. And God doesn't owe you. We are not the middle of this thing, guys. Fly in an airplane sometime. When you're down here, it seems like people, people are big and people are, uh, their influence and, and their awesomenesses. but you get up in an airplane, all of a sudden it's like a bunch of ants running around down here. It's like, these are the people that I've been afraid of? Listen to Isaiah 50, or 40, verse 15. Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Romans three nineteen. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law so that every mouth will be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. God is holy beyond what you and I can grasp. His holiness transcends our understanding. And you and I have broken God's law uh, in many ways. And so all of us are silenced before God. The idea that we, God owes us or that we have a right to this or a right to that, that that's off the table. We are, we're all guilty And on that judgment day, the idea that you're going to be able to complain to God and tell God why it was okay for you to do X, Y, and Z, it's just not true. We're we're all accountable, and we're all silent. That's where this thing starts. God has a right to judge. God judged in the days of Noah. God judged in in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Bible says... Uh, well, praise God, Pastor Tom, that's the Old Testament. No, Jesus said this is how it's going to end, too. Luke 17, it says, as soon as Noah comes out, there's a flood of judgment coming to this world. As soon as Lot comes out, there's going to be fire and brimstone. God's, this is who God is. He is holy, and the whole idea that he owes us or that somehow um, we are the middle and God is just serving us, that's not true. It says in in Psalm 115, verse 3, the Lord is in his heavens and he does as he pleases. The center of this thing is him and who he is. Now, we're to behold his severity and we are to behold his kindness. God is kind beyond all comprehension. Sin separated us from his presence, but it never separated us from his love. No one loves you like God loves you. You, you, It's impossible to comprehend the fullness of God. The Bible says, actually, once you grasp God's love, you will walk in the fullness of God. His his love and his graciousness and his patience with us is beyond our comprehension. Pastor Tom, help me. How, how How can we grab a hold of it? We get a glimpse of who God is in the cross. You see his severity on the cross that God could not overlook the sin of mankind and just forgive us because he loves us. He had to punish it. He sent his son to die for us. There had to be a blood sacrifice. All the lambs of the Old Testament are pointing to God's severity against sin. God's holiness must be met. And Jesus fulfilled that on the cross. We see the severity of God, that God fulfilled, Punished sin on the cross. We also, of course, see God's greatest kindness on the cross. This is his love and his mercy sent Jesus. This is why Jesus came. He wanted to be with us. John chapter 12, 32 and 33, Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. This, this he spoke about his death, about the way he was going to, death, to be lifted up on the cross. This is the kindness of God today. I see it, I see it, I see God drawing people all the time. We have testimonies every Tuesday morning of what God has done just in this last week. And the amazing testimonies of God drawing people. Last week, I had the privilege to be at a sister church in Seattle. I was doing a, a conference for them and uh, Saturday and Sunday, I spoke five times. I spoke to their leaders, and then then the conference, Saturday night, Sunday morning twice, and Sunday night. And Sunday night, it kind of all focused on Sunday night. Sunday night was the glory meeting, and God was touching people. So I was up very, very late praying for people. And this pastor friend that I have in Seattle, he's just no mercy. I'm there. uh, He's going to use me. So I'm also speaking twice Monday morning to pastors. They're bringing all these pastors together. And so I'm up early Monday morning. I've got done with these five things. And I'm at a hotel every morning. I go into this breakfast area early before anybody else is there and have my quiet time. I'm way in the back corner. And all I want to do is be left alone. I've got all my my books spread out. I've got my my coffee. The breakfast isn't ready yet, but the coffee is, praise God. So I've got my coffee, and I'm there. I need to to get a hold of God, and I need to prepare these two messages. I've I've got them, but I need to work on these messages for the pastors, because I haven't had any time to think about it. All I want to do is be left alone. So this lady walks in to the breakfast area. She's a young, professional probably about 30 years old and the entire place is empty and she comes all the way over to my little counter in the corner and she says this is where there's a plug she's got a plug in her laptop what i want to say is that, sweetheart there's plugs all over this kitchen area or this dining room but i'm like well okay I said, "Why don't I move down here, and then you can be next to the plug?" She said, "No, my cord reaches. No, no problem." Well, her cord didn't reach. <laughs> we're in this huge place, and it, we're all—it's no, not another soul is there, and here I am, and I'm not kidding you. She is right here. I mean, almost directly across me. She's just a little kitty corner, and I'm like, "Okay, okay, God." Okay, God. There, There's no way you can miss that kind of divine appointment. I mean, I know that there's nothing going... I mean, I'm twice her age. There's not like there's some type of attraction. This is just God and angels got this woman to take this spot and no other. And so I'm like, all right, how are we going to do this? So I ask her why she's here, and she's... Uh, She's just finishing up residency. She's applying for this high-powered job at a, at a Seattle hospital, and her interview's at 10 o'clock, and she's just getting ready for it. And, and she, she was in Colorado and then Tennessee, and now she's, her whole life is, is in the balance of what the next step is going to be. And, and so we, we chat about that. I go get another cup of coffee, and I am come back. I'm like, okay, well, We need to talk about things. So I ask her, I come back and I say, so did you have a church community when you were in Colorado? And she said, you know, it's a funny thing. She said, "Uh, my parents were born in England and they were part of the Church of England. Then they moved to New York and they were part of the Anglican Church out there and they became so disappointed and saddened because of immorality and affairs that were going, that we just didn't go to church. She said, I, I just, we ne- I never went to church growing up. But I've always wondered. And she said, I was planning on becoming involved in a non-denominational church in, in Colorado, but residency just took up all of my time and I never, I never got to. She said, you know what I, she said, you want to know what I really need? I need Christianity 101. I need somebody to explain to me <laughs> I need somebody to explain to me what Christianity even is. (laughs) Guys, you, you can see here, there's no boldness required here. There's no me stepping out. I mean, this is the pure love of God drawing all people to himself. And I said, I've got this little illustration called the Bridge Illustration that kind of lays out the whole thing. I said, Would you would you mind if I came across and sat next to you and she said, I would love that. And I and I drew out how God made us and then how sin has separated us and here we are in our sin and, and how we try to get back to God with good works and with religion and with morality, and that however much we get, we're far from where God is, so that the only answer for the chasm sin has created has to be on God's side. Jesus said this, you write John 5, 24, whoever hears my message and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come into judgment. I said, this is a really important message. Instead of dying and being separated from God, we get eternal life, and instead of a judgment for sin, there's no judgment for sin. I said, what do you think God did to bridge the gap between him and him and mankind? She looks at that thing and she says, I have I have no idea. Guys, do you know what a privilege it is to tell somebody what the gospel is? As I draw that cross that bridges the gap, that Jesus didn't come to be a good example, even though he was the best example. He didn't come to teach, even though he was the greatest teacher. Jesus came to die. God's holiness did not separate us from his love and it, it was just beautiful. I had to write down what kind of Bible she needed to get and it was, it was just beautiful. God is drawing in his kindness all people to himself. If you are here today, as real as that divine appointment I had in Seattle with that lady, this is a divine appointment for you. If you haven't understood the gospel, you need to, under, it's called gospel, just means good news. The good news is this. Even though you're a sinner, God loves you and Jesus died for you. But we, we need to respond. We need to open up our heart. When I got to the three people at the end, she pointed to that one in the middle. That's me. I'm right in the middle. I said, I said, I know, I know your person, because we had chatted a while by this time, I know you're a very driven, type A, get it done person, and in your mind, you think if you really went at this thing wholeheartedly, you could get halfway across this chasm in five years. I said, it's not how it works. This isn't about what we're gonna do for God. It's about what God did for us. You get over as a gift. And so I wrote out the prayer for her, told her what the prayer was. I said, I'm, I'm gonna would you mind if I prayed for you? She said, I would love it. And uh, the cross. Knowledge about God. We need, we need self-control. We need, to, we need to take the whole revelation of God. Secondly, knowledge about the Christian walk. Matthew seven fourteen. but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. I'll tell you why the gate is small. The gate is only one person wide. Jesus said He is the gate. He is the truth. There's no way to the Father except through Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no, no one comes to the Father except by me. That is a very small gate. The Christian walk that we have in this life is called the narrow road. Some have thought it to be the difficult road. It's not the difficult road. It's the narrow road. It's very easy to get off the Christian road. This is how God made it. So here's what Jesus says to the Pharisees, or says to his disciples about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew 16, 6. Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. We find out a few verses later. He's talking about their teaching. Their teaching works like leaven. Leaven means a little. It's very easy to get off the Christian road. These are the two sides. The Sadducees are the liberals. They don't believe the Bible. They don't take it literally. They don't don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in an afterlife. Here's what they believe in. Culture. Get along with culture. Be happy. Self is the middle. Use as much religion as you want as long as it's helping you. But the center of this thing is self. This is exactly what Peter is warning about in 2 Peter. Uh, A knowledge of God that has no virtue attached to it. That has no holiness in it. That where freedom is really license. To be immoral, license to be greedy, license to just do what everybody else is doing. That's one side of the Christian life. Self is the middle and the result of it is slavery. The other side is called The Pharisees. The Pharisees are the Bible believers. These guys have the middle, their interpretation of the Bible, their rules about the Bible. Here's here's the warning Jesus gives them. This is in John chapter 5, verse 39. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Life comes from Jesus. Life is in Jesus. A right reading of the scripture, a right doctrine of the scripture is going to open your heart and turn your heart toward Jesus. Any interpretation of scripture that doesn't bring you to Jesus is not, it's not right. It might seem right. It might, you can make a case for it. You can prove it to others. You can defend it. From scripture, it's called proof texting. But listen, if you think you're right, but you're not alive, that's called being dead right. And if you're dead, you're not right. Life comes from Jesus. The reason why these things are insidious is because They work like leaven. You get a little legalism in, and it seems the more rules you have, the more pleasing you're going to be to God. And pretty soon, your whole life is about rules. And it's about us keeping the rules, and it produces in us something ugly called self-righteousness. So John chapter 7, Jesus says this, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So I call, it, I call it the Christian canoe. Here's what you need to do as a Christian. Get in the river. Get in Christ. Get thirsty for him. Turn your life to him. Give your sins to him. Give your problems to him. Come to the Savior himself. He, whoever's thirsty, let him come to me. You come to Jesus. You get your life in the river, and then you find you've got a paddle in your hand. The paddle is not for you to propel yourself. The the river's got power of its own. The Holy Spirit is the power of the Christian life. The paddle is to stay off the rocks. The paddle is, don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Keep your eyes on Jesus. We're all going to get off that narrow road. We either get in bondage to self, or we get in bondage to legalism. The fruit of whatever we're in is slavery, slavery. That's a warning. Now get back on the road. Get back to Jesus. I'm disappointed. I'm heartbroken. My Christianity is not working. Well, check your Christianity and see if you're on the right road. Get back on the road. Jesus is life. Jesus loves you. Has something taken you away from simple devotion to Christ? And now you're all caught up with this or all caught up with that. It's called the paralysis of analysis. Get your eyes back on Jesus. Self-control in the Christian walk. And then thirdly and lastly, self-control in the knowledge about our identity. We are unworthy servants. Luke seventeen ten. So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. If you read the one-year Bible with me, this is interesting to me. This is this morning's verse. This is, this is the reading this morning. In the version I've got, it's, it's after you're done obeying God, what you need to say to God and say about yourself is I'm undeserving. My obedience has not earned me anything with God. Entitlement will undermine faith. Obedience to be blessed, that's Old Testament, folks. And we couldn't keep that covenant, Remember? Remember you read the you read the old covenant you're going to find judgment 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 if you obey you'll be blessed they w- w- that one doesn't work our identity we are unworthy servants we are called to obey god because we love him but our obedience doesn't earn anything favor from god comes in the new covenant not because of our obedience but because of his grace or his favor for all who believe. We did Romans eight fifteen that that we have been adopted. That the Holy Spirit we're not we're no longer living in fear as slaves who are who are worried that they're not going to be good enough in their performance. But we've been adopted. Our spirits cry out, Abba, Father, and He is. Everybody that's born of the Spirit is adopted by God. is is a, a joint heir of Christ. Look at verse seventeen. One more, one more slide. Verse 17, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Pastor Tom, I'm not sure I like that verse. What does that mean about the sufferings? I don't, I don't, I don't know if I like that. Let me read to you Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. That I may, Paul speaking, that I may know him, experientially know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. The greatest way God expresses favor to us is bringing us into the true knowledge of who he is. The idea that you know God because you've read the Bible or because you've heard a lot or you've listened to a lot of sermons, that doesn't mean you know, know God. That means you know about God. That's like Googling a movie star. I mean, you can have all kinds of facts about them. That doesn't mean you've ever met them. That just means you know a bunch of stuff about them. You, you, you can win a trivial pursuit contest if, if that person's name is brought up. This is about knowing him. This is, about, this is eternal life, that they may know you. The word is Geneo, uh, uh, which means to know Genosco, which means to know by intimacy. to know God and to know Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. That's what eternal life is. It's this true knowledge of God. Now to know Him, to know Jesus. We're going to learn about him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. What does that mean? That means this, that all of life, it's, it's not about just paying your bills. It's not about just getting ahead. It's not about just your human destiny and what you're going to accomplish down here. The, the greatest dream, the greatest thing in our lives is to know him. Everything else is going to be seen as dim compared to this. And we're going to know him both in the miracles that he does and the deliverances he does and the provisions that he does in the power of his resurrection and in the hard times and the difficult times and the dark times. Now, here's the interesting thing about in the fellowship of his sufferings. When we are suffering, and many here today are suffering in in a number of ways, your suffering is an invitation to know him. Here's what the human race says to God God, if you're real, speak louder. Speak louder! And here's how God responds Come closer. God's only going to whisper. You want to hear a whisper, you got to get close. This is why you were created. This is why Jesus died for you. God wants to live close to you. He wants you and him to be intimates. And has anybody noticed this? When we experience him in the power of his resurrection and everything's going good and God's providing and God's healing and God's doing all these amazing things, it's really easy to drift from being close to him. But there's something about suffering, isn't there? Well, you have two choices when you're suffering. You can become bitter, or you can get close to God. And God can actually turn that, whatever it is that's bad, he can, he can make it sweet. And you can actually say at the other side of it, oh my, that was the worst time of my life, and it was the best time of my life. That's when I found God. That's when he found me. That's when I experienced his tenderness. So you know what today is? It's Palm Sunday. (laughs) Palm Sunday is the day that Jesus came in on the donkey and and the multitudes are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, the king is here. He's awesome. This is amazing. But there there was a problem in their theology. Because in their theology, Messiah was about conquering Rome. It was about taking over. It was about our life's going to get a lot easier because Messiah's coming in. And so even though they're shouting and yelling because the Messiah's here, it's going to go bad because they gotta, they, they're, they're only taking the part they like. Messiah didn't come just to rule. He came to serve, which meant to die for us. He wanted something more than political freedom for his people he wanted freedom from sin, and that meant him dying for us on a cross. The same group that was yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, was yelling on Good Friday, crucify him, crucify him. And I know Sarah talked about the road to the cross last week. I thought it was beautiful, and I I encourage you to come out um, Friday for our Good Friday service, seven o'clock right here. It's called Embracing the Cross and Sarah said this, if you want to experience the full joy on Sunday, you, you can't bypass the cross. You cannot bypass the price that was paid. It is linked to the joy that we're going to have in him. So I want to encourage you to come out. We live in a culture that, that doesn't like pain. I don't like to think about pain. But it's really, really important. All right, and then I'm going to close with this. Three ways that my wife is like Jesus. (Laughter) <sighs> You know, every, every time I'm, I'm going to talk about somebody personally, I, I will always say, and I ask them permission, I'm going to just say with confidence today, I didn't ask her permission. She never would have let me talk about how she's like Jesus. So here we go. Um, <laughs> it's, and it's so perfect today because she's only coming to the 6 p.m. service. So by the time she's mad at me, it'll be too late. Um <laughs> I want to give you three ways that my wife is like Jesus. Number one, you sit down one-on-one with my wife and you're going to find out that she likes you. She has a tremendous sympathy for brokenness, for pain. She has a tremendous understanding and just an allowance for human beings and, and this ability to to like people and see what is good and what's beautiful right in the midst of pain and brokenness. And that's just how Jesus is. When he looks at the human race, his heart is filled with compassion. He knows about your sins. He's seen rebellion. He's seen bad choices. But he also sees the darkness that we live in every day. He sees the brokenness we're born into. And he feels compassion. It's why he left heaven and was born on this earth. was because of his compassion. He didn't come just to save the lost. He came to seek them. Second way that my wife is like Jesus is she's an amazing listener. She will listen to what you're saying and then she will give you just the right encouragement or ju- if you want advice, just the right advice. She's very, very wise. And that, that is who Jesus is. If, if you are with Jesus and you spend time with Jesus and you tell him what your problem is and you tell him what your pain is, you tell him what your suffering is, he's going to comfort you and he's going to give you wisdom. He'll get, he won't give you the whole picture, but he'll give you the next step. This is how you need to respond in this situation. Great, just great advice. But here's the third way that she's like Jesus. You can spend a lot of time with my wife and realize after the fact that you didn't really learn anything about her. Because she doesn't reveal stuff about herself unless you really, really want to know she's an introvert and she's just she, some of us it's all out there all the time you know but for her you're not going to get that information unless you really want it. this is how Jesus is our relationship can be very shallow with him and he will allow that and our relationship with him can really be all about us it's all about our problem, our brokenness, our sin, and our need for comfort, and our need for provision, our need for a miracle. And, and, it, and, and it, we can live our whole Christian life at that level. But sometimes people go far. Paul went farther, didn't he? He said, I want to know him. I must know him. I'm pressing in to know him. I want to know the glory of who he is. I want to know him. I want to take this suffering. I want to bring it to him. I want to ask him who he is, who he is that I'm going through this. Who he, what are you doing in me, God? Who are you that you're doing this in someone like me? Charles Spurgeon said about the church in England, it's a mile wide and an inch deep. I wonder what he would say about the church in America. Actually, I don't want to know what he would say. But I, I just feel like God's inviting us. He's inviting us to know him. Yes, in his power, but also in his suffering. And to say, Jesus, I want to know you more. All right, could we bow our heads for just a moment? There's two groups of people that I want to pray for. The first one is this. Maybe you're here today and you know a lot about God. Maybe you actually, like the, the lady that I met at that, in that breakfast room, maybe you don't know much about God. Maybe you've been around it and you've always kind of wondered about God, but you don't know. Well, I'm here today to tell you this. God created you. He's very holy. We've all sinned against him. He owes us nothing. But the same God who owes us nothing wants to give us everything. Romans 8.32 says, how will he who gave his only son not with him freely give us all other things? He loves you. He died so that he can make you his own. Jesus says this, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. He will only knock. You have to say, please, Jesus, I'm opening my door. I have every head bowed because this is between you and God, not you and your mom, not you and me, not you and grandma. This is just you and God. And if you're here today and you know Jesus is knocking, you might not even know how you know he's knocking, but you know God is speaking today and you want to say, I want to open my door. I'm going to have you raise your hand in just a moment because I, I pray a prayer. Somebody help me pray the prayer to open my door, and I'd I'd be privileged to help you. So if that's you, you know you're a sinner. Jesus is knocking, and you want to respond today by opening your heart. Would you just raise your hand real high right now? I see that hand and that hand, actually two hands there. Okay, I see that hand and that hand. God bless you. And this hand, thanks, buddy. And this hand, God bless you. Anybody else? By up hand. I see that hand in the back. God bless you. This hand up in the balcony. God bless you. God loves us, guys. God loves us. Okay, everybody that raised their hand, just slip that hand over your heart right now and pray something like this to God. You can can use your own words. It's not about the perfect prayer. It's about the perfect Savior. Jesus, I thank you for loving me. I know I'm a sinner. I know you're holy and I'm a sinner. And I know I am, if this is about my good works, I'm silent before you. Lord, I also own that you love me and that you came into this world to die for me on the cross. And today, God, I hear you knocking. I want you to know I hear you knocking. And right now, by faith, I'm opening my door. Please come in. Come in and save me. Come in and wash me. Come in and forgive me. Make me born again. Pour out your Holy Spirit on me and take the rest of my life to be used. For you but more more importantly with you in Jesus name I pray amen then could we stand to our feet the second call is uh, you're here today and maybe you've been a little offended by your life because you're suffering right now and today Jesus is inviting you He's inviting you to give to give him your bitterness and to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm bringing this to the cross. I don't understand why I'm going through this. I prayed to be delivered from it. I prayed that you would do something that clearly you haven't done yet. But Jesus, I want to go beyond my circumstances. I want to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings. If that's you, would you just open your arms right now? You don't want to be offended by God. You want to draw close. Lord, there is something about everything going really well that makes us vulnerable. (laughs) It says that if anybody thinks he stands, let him watch lest he fall. And there's something about our suffering our trials our difficulties that they're like a ladder to walk to you they're like a an invitation to come in lord you know every problem here every pain here every suffering and you are moved by human brokenness in all of its forms you are moved by broken relationships and and f- bills that are unpaid and and pains that don't seem to go away Lord, today we're asking you to draw us close. We're giving you what's bitter in our life. We're bringing it to your cross and saying, Jesus, I must know you. I must know you. Show me who you are, who you are to me. Who I am in you. Lord, if I'm off this road, show me which side I'm on and help me get back on this road. I'm bringing my thirst to you, Jesus. Let rivers begin to flow in this place, I pray, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm not sure exactly how we're going to do ministry teams but we'll have people up here somewhere to pray for you. Um, We're going to continue to worship. It's 10 o'clock, so pick up your kids. God bless you. Have a great week.